we are in this morning uh, John 8, 31 through 36. And if you have your Bible, you can turn there, John chapter 8. Um, and I have some notes for us this morning. If you, are, if you have your Sunday school notes, the, the normal ones say freedom in the sun. That's what we're continuing this morning. Um, but I do have some notes for those that don't. So raise your hand. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Everybody good? Do have some more up here. Uh, if anybody needs them, we'll take that and go with it. Let's have a word of prayer again. Father, I stand up here and I'm very keenly aware of the fact that it's not up to the eloquence of the speaker or the purity of my life as if I've arrived um, and I'm here to tell everybody else how to live. It's none of these things that at the end of the day brings any of us any closer to you in, in, in a relationship, a, a family and friendly relationship to you. But it is in fact your power and your ability and your grace and your mercy and your love that saves anyone. And so I pray, I beg you for your grace today, uh, this morning as we open for a few minutes these, uh, this Gospel of John and we look at the words of our Lord Jesus. Is it, these are well-known words, um, but I wonder how many really know what he's saying. And, I, and then when it comes to the application, man, it sounds good on paper, but we don't, we don't like to admit, just like these Jews here, we don't like to admit that we are uh, slaves of sin. And so I pray that you would, would help us to at least be open to what the Lord Jesus has to say, that you would open our hearts to this possibility and that, that we might be willing to humble ourselves under the word of God this morning by your grace. And that includes the speaker. And we pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. In the past couple of sessions, we've looked at two big topics that are there on your notes, okay? So if you look at the front side of your notes, um, it says, from slaves of sin to sons of God, okay? Um, here's a little tip for you. And this is true with any kind of literature, right? Anytime you're reading something, uh, how many of you like to uh, you get a book and you'd like to just kind of cheat and flip to the end? There's some people like that, okay? All right, yeah, <laughs> confess. We tell the truth in church, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, I have to, to be honest, those kind of people annoy me. Uh, <laughs> not really, but I, 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 I like to try to be patient, read the story, uh, you know, uh, but maybe the movie too, you know, oh man, this is too awful. I got to skip to the end uh, type thing. Um, okay. Well, in, in studying the Bible, you can, you can kind of read ahead a little bit. Uh, but there's a, there's a problem that a lot of people have if you've had exposure to the Bible, uh, been in church at all, um, and, and, and that is the tendency 
to pull out a favorite verse or a text of scripture somewhere and, and you throw that up and there's nothing wrong with that. We have banners like this in the front and the back that have a verse just standing alone by themselves. That's fine. But um, real good Bible study, honest Bible study is to look at the whole thing in context. Very, very important to do that. So that's what we're doing here on these notes, right? The front side of the notes here, uh, there's, there's two uh, cultural and textual kind of topics that we've already looked at. And I, I'll just touch on them quickly so you can read this on your own. Feel free to take the notes home. I don't need them back. That's for you. Okay. The first one is slavery. Okay. And, and like I said, the last two weeks ago, we particularly focused on that. And just giving you a little background. And what I'm saying there in the notes, again, just to, to recap this quickly. When we hear the term slavery in our culture today, we don't think of it in the terms that it, that it is intended and understood in by the audiences at the time that they were hearing the words of Jesus, for example, here. Okay? Very important. Same also in the Old Testament. When you read about slavery there and the regulations that God put in place for it, uh, you'll notice that he doesn't say, well, how dare you have slaves? Okay? He doesn't say that. And the reason is, is that our understanding of slavery is not the normal understanding of slavery throughout human history. Slavery did not start with the, with the African slave trade of a, a few centuries back. Okay, slavery's been around in human history for thousands of years before that. Okay, and while there have been abuses of the institution of slavery, by and large, it was a system we understand it to, as a today we would understand it as a system of credit. Okay, so think about this: homelessness is not new. People have been homeless and destitute have had times of destitution where they couldn't meet them or Jenny was appreciate your heart this morning for your boys right and I understand that my grace okay I really do and when you when you have a but imagine a parent or or parents right uh, or you know a woman and her husband dies or whatever and you still have these little mouths to feed this family to take care of right and you don't have enough guess what that's not new people have been struggling, societies have been struggling with this problem of destitution for thousands of years, okay? And so slavery in human history, in its ideal form, has been a form of credit, okay? You have some, some people who don't have enough. You have people that have more than enough. It makes sense to do that exchange. If you remember your history, you'll remember feudal Europe was kind of like that, right? You had people that worked the land, the Lord kind of owned the manor and the land, right? And, and, and then you had people that worked uh, the grounds, some of that food and, and produce of the land would come in to him uh, and to his family, but then it would also help support those people. And they would often put, you can go to, um, my wife and I watch these little British programs, and, and many many times they have, these, these lords have large holding, they have the, the big house, right? But they would also have houses on their land, too. You can go to Biltmore today, you'll see the same thing. On the other side of the river, uh, uh, what they call the west side, are little houses, little farms back there that was sort of a co-op with George Vanderbilt, okay? This is, today, we have a system of credit, right? You, you go to a bank and you get money out and, and maybe they help you, or we have, we have charities 
we have government welfare programs, things like that, that help people in times of destitution, right? But slavery has been one of, has, is best understood that way, okay? So when we, when we read our text and he talks about being a slave of sin, you need to understand it that way. What we're talking about is a debt, okay? I just want to say my family was one of those families yeah. that was um, lived on the Biltmore Estate oh, wow. um, and worked worked and did things for the Vanderbilt. So, wow, yeah, know. that's where my mom grew up. She grew up on the Biltmore Estate. Really? Wow. Yeah. So cool. my grandmother took care of the Cecil children and uh, did things for them, uh, you know, like uh, mending things and things like that. Yeah, there were families, different families that were there. Yeah. And, and George called them staff, which was very respectful, made them very well. That's good. And, you know, again, uh, it's not to say that, you know, there, there were those who did that, their part of it well, and there's a, there's a good. All right, so that's that's first topic on our notes, okay? Again, the whole point is we need to understand what Jesus, the, 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 the time and the culture that frames what's being said here, right? Context is very important as we study this, as we open John 8. And that's slavery. The second thing we looked at last time is this word abide, okay? And that's on your notes, starts on the front of your notes here. Everybody with me? Okay. And then on the back, on the back, you got a big table back there, okay? Um, and, uh, and so, what I'm doing there is I'm showing you this word, this word abide, that's translated sometimes abide. It's also translated um, remain or stay, uh, sometimes endures or continues or dwells in English. Okay, so the Bible wasn't written in English, right? Right. Bible was written, Old Testament was written mostly in Hebrew, some Aramaic, and then the New Testament was written in Greek. And so when you read things in English, sometimes it helps to go back and understand the original word that's, that, that the translators are trying to help us understand, okay? And so you can go through all of that table on your own time um, and, and just find out how John uses this word, but it's, it's um, there's several, several texts I just wanna highlight real quick. You see at the top there, 336, Whoever believes on the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God, and here's that word, remains on him. Okay. Um, next, uh, look down a little bit, 538. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. Okay. Chapter 6, verse 56. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. That sounds offensive to us. It was offensive to some of those that, that left. They took off when they heard that. Okay, skip down to, to chapter 12, verse 46. Jesus, in his final statement, to sum up his public ministry, says, I have come into, uh, come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. 14.10, you do not... <clears throat> Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. And then verse 17, even the spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. 
you know him for he dwells with you and will be with you and there's a few others in there the, the point is this that word simply means that for some period of time a person or persons is in a state or a condition um, okay so it, it, in other words it's not the idea of coming and going it's you come and you stay okay uh, we, we like to uh, we talk about our homes maybe you don't we don't refer to them this way but it is your abode right it's the place you abide it's the place you stay all right you don't you don't uh, I will say you will come and go. My, we like to travel, my wife and I. I'm sure everybody does. And you, you leave, go to work, that type of thing. But you keep coming back, right? You don't just like buy a house and then never see it again. Okay. Uh, you may leave for six months uh, if you're one of those that uh, goes back and forth to Florida. <laughs> but eventually you come back, we hope, right? So you abide there, you stay there. Okay, those are the two concepts. Now let's get into let's get into our outline. Let me read this for us this morning. John 8, 31 to 36. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. <coughs> On your outline, point number one there, Jesus addresses those who are believing in him. you got to, again, context, very important. Go back to the, to the verse right before that. As he was saying these things, many believed in him, okay? Uh, what he is talking about in the verses right before that, you can see in verse 28, he says, when you've lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that literally that I am. What Jesus is saying is there's coming a, a point soon in which he will be crucified. That's what he means by being lifted up, okay? That's a term. They understood that. Uh, we don't, we look at it as like, what does that mean, okay? But he is going to be crucified, lifted up, which is, we would call that a, a euphemism, okay? Um, like, if, for example, you know, if you take your your cat, uh, my dad had a, had a, a cat he had to put down very very hard for him, you know, because he, you know, you love your animals, right? And, and I even just used that euphemism, had to put down, right? Okay, we all know what that means. It kind of cleans up the reality of it a little bit, right? So this idea of being lifted up is crucifixion, and and he's he is just telling them that that he's that when they do that, it's going to dawn on them who he is, okay, many of them. And then there are many who believe in him. Okay, that's great. Great. Yeah. So we got some people coming here. They're, they're interested. They're, you know, we look around here today. We got a, a small church. We like when people come, no matter the size of the church or whatever, you know. Uh, you would think, okay, Jesus in his ministry, now this is great. What's he going to say to these people who are believing him? 
Well, it's not probably what you would expect, right? Oh, that's great. Sign the card. You're saved, right? You, you've, you're good with God, right? That's what you would expect. He doesn't say that. He says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. What does he mean by this? Okay. Um, he gives us a little bit of insight. Uh, if you want to, you can. If you, you don't want to, that's fine. Uh, John 14, a few pages over to the right in chapter 14. He's got a couple of verses that help us better understand this. Chapter 14, verse 15 says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Okay, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Then a couple verses later in verse 23, again, John 14, 23, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not, now watch this, verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. Okay, so the point is, it's not, um, and I don't know how much gospel or, or church or whatever you've had but there's a there's a sort of a, a teaching that's been that is still very popular in churches, or you can maybe maybe I'll say it directly. At least you come away with the strong idea that that you can um, come to God through Jesus. That sometimes say a sinner's prayer and you're good, okay? And then you live however you want. That's not what Jesus is saying, okay? And now listen to what I'm going to say, because this is very, very important. There's a lot of people, uh, myself included for many years, until I understood this, okay, who are disappointed with what they read or see in the Bible. And it's because they don't get out of it what they think they are, that they should be getting out of it, all right? And the reason is, is that the Bible is not magic. Jesus just said, you will, it doesn't say you will know the spell, and it'll make you free. He says, you will know the what? The truth. The Bible's not magic. It's truth. And the only way this book is really going to bring the joy and the peace and the fulfillment and forgiveness of sin and right relationship with God that it promises is when you come to the truth, you believe it, and you stay there, and you obey it. That's how it works. Okay? And it's a slow process. There's, unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that I don't want to Churches, okay, but sometimes they almost feel more like a pep rally. Uh, I've been to some, and, and it's like, ooh, where's my big chill bump today? Um, <clears throat> God isn't, you know, I mean, there are times, and there's certainly times when God will rescue people in a very dramatic way, and I've seen Him do some really amazing things, dramatic things in my life, but that's pretty rare. Most of the time, it's just a faithful, uh, steady, day by day walk in his word and to see him provide. Um, so the Bible is truth, okay? Back to our text. <coughs> I've got a lot of sticky notes in here, so I think I get to the right one. 
He's addressing those who believe in him. Now look, look at what he says. If you abide, now that's our word, right? Abide, that, that doesn't mean that coming and going. That means to come and to stay. So you got people who are showing some interest in Jesus. Fantastic, great. What he says is, stay here. Don't run away, okay? A few chapters earlier, um, in chapter 6, at the very end, is one of the saddest verses in all the Bible. John 6, 66, right? Which simply says, for this reason, many of his disciples left and followed him no longer. They bailed. They were. They had signed up. They were part of Camp Jesus, man. They got a bumper sticker. They got a t-shirt. They got the hats, right? We're good to go. And, and the indication, from what I can tell, is that they followed Jesus for months, maybe even years, okay? But then when he said some things that they didn't like, and listen, he wasn't the Messiah they wanted, they bailed, okay? Because they, like us, misunderstand this truth that it's not magic. See, magic doesn't care how you live. Magic says, okay, say the right prayer, do the right things, you know, do this and don't do that, you know, pronounce it correctly. You know, you watch Harry Potter, you know, say it right. Oh, and then the feather floats around, okay? That's magic. Truth is different because truth is, is God's way of, of living and approaching him, and you have to respect him enough to follow that and stay with it. When you don't, guess what? He knows that. <laughs> Oops. Okay. Magic's like, well, whatever. Okay. Um, but but with truth, it does matter. And God's power and his, his um, peace, the, the promises, that the good promises, the blessings and things come, um, and forgiveness of sin comes when we abide, when we stay there, when we obey. Okay, like, you, like we just read, the one who loves me keeps my commands. Now, what's the rest of it say? Okay, Because there is a benefit here. I don't want to take that away. Um, it says, you will know the truth. And the truth will what? That's good. Um, we're not allowed to just fill in the blank of whatever that means, though. Free from what? Free from what? All right. Well, they they kind of uh, help us out here. Again, context is very, very helpful. So that's point number two. The Jews' protest is implication that they are in dire shape spiritually. When he says it's hard for us to see that in the text here because it's so it's so short and it's been through you know a translation into an, into English and it sounds so mild to us, right? Uh, they they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been a slave to anyone. How how is it you can say you will become free? Okay. They were offended by this. <laughs> I like to say that if if Jesus had just simply not spoken, just done his thing, or maybe when he did speak, it was nice little you know Reader's Digest little proverbs that you can't offend anybody with. He'd have been he'd been. <laughs> He'd been fine. His words got him in trouble here. And here again, his words get him in trouble. They're very offended. Why are they offended? Well, they, it gives us some insight there. We are offspring of Abraham have never been a slave to anyone. When I first read that, I thought, oh, wait a minute. 
aren't you under Roman rule right now? Right? I mean, the time that that, that is true, okay? So the time that this is being uh, written, that these events are happening, uh, if you remember your history, the Roman Empire had taken over the, the Mediterranean world, right? Uh, that whole region right in there, right around the Mediterranean, on into upper part of Africa and, and, and points um, east, and then all the way uh, even into uh, what we know today as the United Kingdom, right? Britannia was known then, on up into Europe, that whole area. Uh, they say the known world. I don't like to say that because the people who lived, didn't live in that area knew their world was more than that. So anyway, that whole area. So but that included Israel, and, and, or, or what we call Judea. That's how they knew it then, and Galilee and Samaria, and those, those parts uh, today, which we know the area is Palestine. And so I thought, I first looked at that, I was like, what are they talking about? Okay. But that's not what they have in mind here, because notice the reference to Abraham. Okay. They understood probably better than we do what Jesus meant there, that he was not talking necessarily about um slavery in the term of I'm in this obligation to obey this higher authority and I got to do what they tell me regardless right I mean the Jews if you lived lived then and you lived under Roman rule and and a, and a Roman soldier or a tax collector you're, you're you're coming down the road with your stuff and you run into a tax collector booth and he says you got to pay whatever there's a there's a Roman soldier usually somewhere nearby with his hand ready to enforce that, you gotta pay it, right? You kind of look at that as slavery, uh, and that that you'd be right in many respects. We don't know what it's like to be occupied by a foreign power in this country. I hope that never happens in our lifetimes. That's that's a hard thing. Werner, uh, a dear brother that's that has now gone to be with the Lord, but he talked about that. And he was in Germany after World War II and knew what it was like to have uh, to be occupied. Um, but that's not what they have in mind here, okay? Uh, t they understand when he's talking about truth and truth setting you free, that this has to do with a spiritual relationship, okay? Now, they understood that. And so they're offended because, like I said a minute ago, they thought that they were good with God because they were descendants of Abraham. Okay? And you can keep reading this, this chapter. It really gets heated. Okay, It really gets heated. Where Jesus effectively is going to tell them in a few verses later, they, they're going to insist, first of all, that they're sons, uh, the descendants of Abraham. And then they up the game a little bit and say, well, no, we're, we're, dis we're descendants of God. God is our father. Which for the Jews was a pretty bold statement to make. Um, even though their Old Testament scriptures did talk about God as Father, Jews didn't really, they were very uncomfortable talking about it that way, but they, they got really offended, and, and they, it's really interesting. And then Jesus says, no, 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 actually, I know you're descendants of Abraham, okay? God is not your father. You are your father, the devil. Okay? And as the light of the world, he's there to shine this truth on the fact that their religious system that they had built was not what they thought it was. They thought that they were good with God. We're, we're good, man. You know, God's on our side, right? And he is there to say, no, no, no. 
you've been deceived. You think you're in light, walking in light and helping other Gentiles who don't know any better. You're there to teach them. But in fact, you're in darkness. You're in chains. And you need, you need help. Um, can I say it in one word? Pride. Pride. Their pride kept them from seeing the truth. Okay? They should have known better. Um, let me just flip you over. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Um, there's a couple of other verses related to this. Times in which Jesus said something very similar to this when he called for humility. Okay? And, and uh, so Matthew 5, 3 is one of those verses. You may recognize the Beatitudes, right? This is right, in, right at the very start of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not the rich in spirit. In other words, not those who think, I've got all the resources. I'm good with God, right? But those who recognize their destitution, right? Remember, slavery is is a, is a rescue from destitution, okay? And they understood that um, at that time. Here, it's saying these are people who recognize I don't have the resources to meet my needs spiritually. That's what Jesus is saying there. A, a, a little bit later in Matthew, in Matthew 11. Verse 5, you read this. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the good news preached to them. Okay. Now, yes, Jesus did go around and he did heal these people physically, right? And very often, by the way, in that society, sad to say, you know, today we, uh, we're, we're very accommodating to people with disabilities, okay? Um, and, and we have, you know, uh, we even out here at our church, we have a little ramp there for somebody that, that like my dad, when he's you know, with his bum knee, he's going to have to walk up that when he does come, right? Or we have a wheelchair or something. Um, but that was not always that way. Uh, in, in fact, in, in many cultures, uh, if you were blind or, or destitute like that or something, you couldn't really work very well, you would have to beg for a living if you could, okay? If nobody was there to take care of you, you run into that in the New Testament many times, many beggars, right? And uh, anyway, so what Jesus is saying here in these verses is you have to realize that you spiritually are in that state. You have nothing to commend yourself with before God. The only thing you can do is beg for help. And they didn't want to do it. Pride got in the way. Um, 11, 28, and 30, also same chapter of Matthew 11, uh, 28. Listen to this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. They lived under a religious system that had a Jesus likens it to a heavy yoke, a heavy burden on their back, and they're struggling and fighting, and you know they're trying to please God. They're trying to do this thing, and it's not enough. And he's like, discard that. 
come to me, right? Come to me, my burden is easy. Um, one more in Luke chapter four, verses 18 to 19, it says, uh, verse 17, he unrolled the scroll. So he's, he's teaching in his, his home, his home uh, synagogue, right? In Nazareth of all places. Remember, he grew up in Nazareth, right? And he's, he's teaching. They're very excited to have him. This is a big deal for them, right? This is like, you know, um, uh, I was going to say Billy Graham, but he's not here now. <laughs> but it'd be like, uh, I know John MacArthur or somebody, whoever your favorite, coming in here, you know. Okay, so, so he unrolled the scroll and he uh, found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Same thing we're reading here, right? People who are, uh, even today, prisoners or cons, you know, convict. I don't know if anybody's been to prison or been let out or you know somebody who has, but um, it's, I've been involved in the hiring process at work. We had uh, one or two resumes where the people let us know up front, I've had some, I've had some criminal behavior that's behind me. Not real serious, but I've had some, you know. Well, even in our culture today, those kinds of people have a hard time getting work, right? Respectable work. They have a hard time kind of overcoming that, all right? And so it's a stigma to be a captive, right, to be a prisoner. But here he is proclaiming liberty to the captives and, and recovery of sight to the blind. And to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The point is their own, and that, by the way, that comes from the Hebrew scriptures, right? That comes from Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. So these Jews here in our text, back to, back to John 8, they shouldn't have been so offended. But they were. They didn't want to be the poor in spirit. Right? They're offended by that. What do you mean? What do you mean we're captive? We like our system, right? It works really well for us. It makes us feel comfortable. And Jesus is flying in the face of that. Okay. Now we get to our next part of our notes there. Uh, uh, points uh, three, four, and five, okay? I keep playing my glasses here because I'm see you too to read them off. But let's get back into our text here. Look at verse uh, 34. This is John 8, verse 34. Jesus answered them. Now, how many Bibles say truly, truly? So John 8, 34. John 8, 30. Yeah, 34. John says very truly. Very truly, okay. Jesus answered them, truly, truly. That's kind of weird, right, uh, to us. And I think it's with some of the, some of the um, maybe the more recent translators. Oh, this is a recent one here. This is ESV, uh, which is pretty recent. In, in the original language, how many of you heard the word amen? I think you said it today, right? Okay. Amen. Okay. Usually you say that 
after you hear something you really like, right? And it means, you know, somebody will say, um, boy, I'm glad it's Friday. Amen. Right? <laughs> it means you're in agreement. Thank you. In agreement, strong agreement with it. Yeah, boy, that's the truth, right? That's another way of saying it. Boy, ain't that the truth. How many times do you have somebody say, well, now ain't that the truth? And then they tell you what, what it is, right? Usually it comes afterwards. The amen or yeah, thumbs up comes, the reaction comes afterwards, not before. But Jesus had a habit of doing that before what he's about to say. And it says it twice, right? So really, it, it literally is in, in this, uh, in the original language, it's amen, amen. Okay, amen, amen, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. It's his way of saying, truth, truth. Whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Okay? Why the repeat? To get your attention. To emphasize the fact that what I'm about to tell you is really important. Okay, It'd be equivalent to, and I, I said this earlier a second ago, listen up. Okay, listen up. I'm about to tell you something that's really important. Don't miss this, right? Another way of saying it is, if you don't hear anything else I say, right? So truly, truly, I say to you. Notice, he's the one speaking, and you're the one who needs to hear, okay? Whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And that's point number three on our outline. The truism number one. Jesus is about to give us a spiritual truth. Okay? This has nothing to do with your feelings. And, and, and um, again, appreciate what Jenny said earlier. Uh, one of the things that you struggle with, I guess when you're kind of that age maybe, is you think you've got a lot more figured out than you really learn later that you didn't know <laughs> uh, okay and and so truth is true regardless of how you feel it's, it's true okay I like to say uh, truth is things as they really are just things as they really are right and you know when you get up in the morning it's time to go to work you look at that uh, at that clock it's telling you that hopefully the truth, right? Your body may be saying, no, this can't, you know, but it's the truth. It's time to go, man, like it or not, right? And so you, you know, part of growing up and maturing is you just get up and you do it regardless of how you feel, right? So truth is true regardless. And he says here, a, tr a, a, a truism, this fact, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So understanding slavery the way we described it a minute ago, what he's saying is when you practice sin, now the idea of commit there is, is similar to this idea of abiding, right? So what he's doing is he's setting in contrast those who believe and stay in him and follow him and continue to obey him versus those who continue to abide in and stay committed to sin. So what he's saying is he's he's offering two states of your life, two, two directions that you are going. One is you are either enslaved to sin or you are a disciple of his. That's it. That's all. All right. 
And the two ideas are very closely linked. So that when you are commit when you are uh, committed to sin, you you are sinning. Okay? Actually, he says it in reverse. And the reason he does is what he's doing is he's showing them. Remember, they they thought that they were okay. What do you mean we're enslaved? What are you talking about? The proof is in the pudding. Are you living in sin? Are you doing things you know are wrong? Your conscience tells you, no matter how you try to excuse it, right, or blame somebody else, or, man, we have a million ways of dealing with that, right? Well, at least I'm not like David. I'm not. I haven't committed murder, right, or I haven't whatever okay we find we find these are all dodgy answers but okay but you haven't solved the problem of your sin you have done things you know were wrong you knew they were wrong when you did them you decided to do them you planned to do them or the the worst ones really are the ones in the spur of the moment you know and and something comes out of your mouth in anger or frustration or despair or just you know somebody hurt you so you're going to hurt them back right and, and you know, and later you're like, man, I wish I hadn't said that. You know, that was wrong. Why did I do that? Okay. What Jesus is doing is offering to them and to us the evidence that we all know is is true. We all know. We all know. Any anybody perfect in the room? Never made a mistake. Never done anything wrong in your life. No. Okay. You raise your hand. <laughs> you're lying. Okay. Right. He knows the evidence is there, and he puts his finger on it, okay? Those who are practicing sin are slaves to sin. That's truth number one. And by the way, that's, again, that's not just, that's not the idea of ebbing and flowing. That's not the idea of how uh, you commit a sin, then you don't, you know, you're, you're good the next day. And, uh, I think I may have had one or two sins this week. No, it's the idea of you're practicing sin. You're, you're abiding there. You're sticking with that, and that's who you serve. Okay, lots of verses about that. I want to take you just to one, uh, for the sake of time. There's there's a ton of them. Um, Romans, uh, if you're jotting notes down, you can look this out on your own. Romans six sixteen through twenty is a tremendous one, but I wanted to touch on another one. That's Romans 6, 16 through 20. You read that on your own. But let me just read this one to you uh, because I think it's I think it's so appropriate for our culture today. Titus 3, 3. Let's listen to this. For we ourselves once were foolish, disobedient, led astray. Now watch this. Slaves to various passions. And pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Wow. <clears throat> I often think of that last little clause as one of the best descriptions I know of, of life in the world without Christ. All the people who are marching along under, under the domination of, and the rule of sin in their lives. That's a that's a summary right there. Hating and being hated. 
Um, I'm trying to think through these things here. You know, hate and is is a big topic right now. You know, we got racism is a big deal. Uh, sexism, all of these isms. You know, this that all these labels, these kinds of things, and people. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but we there's a lot of, of people that love to go around and tell others what their real motives are for mistreatment of other people. Well, you mistreated that person. Let's see, it must be because they're maybe a different gender or they different sexual practice than you or whatever it is, right? There's a lot of people that look just like me that have been rude to me and I to them, right? The problem is not all of these surface things that we like to blame in our culture today. The problem is we all have hearts that hate someone at some time or, and, and respond in a way, especially when somebody is rude to you or they hurt you. Maybe they didn't intend to, but you still, you feel that what? That, that pride. How dare you? You know, and I'm going to get back to you. Or maybe you're just, you're driving. They're in your way. How dare you? Because it's important for me to get to where I need to go. All those things tease out what's in our hearts, right? It's all there. And that's what Jesus is saying. The evidence is there, and you know it. Second Peter 2.19 is another one that you can look at. Truism number two is point number four in our outline. First one is those practicing sin are slaves of sin. The second one is a slave is not the permanent member of the household, but a son is. Okay, look at verse 35, back to John 8, verse 35. The slave does not remain forever in the house, but the son remains forever. What do you mean, Jesus? That's kind of weird. What? So in, the, in your notes, I have a I have a summary statement there, um, which I'll I'll say again. What he's doing is he's saying, look, the relationship to the house that a slave has is very different than the relationship of a son. A slave owes the house; a son owns the house. So all the difference in the world, right? All the difference in the world. Um, when you own something, it's a whole different ball game than when you're just there to kind of contribute to it, right? Yeah. So think about it this way. I don't know if we have business owners in the house, but if you have owned a business or, in fact, I know I know we do. We have some that, that either have or still currently own a business. I, I owned a business for a little while um, and uh, uh, found out that uh, ownership comes with its privileges, but it has its... <laughs> It has its responsibilities too, right? The same is true with your house, right? If you own your house, it's very different than when you rent. Okay? What Jesus is simply saying is this, okay? God created this universe we live in. And all the things you enjoy, okay, that you think are going to bring you pleasure and fulfillment, okay? Just like the verse of Titus we read a minute ago, pursuing all those passions. Man, I'm going to do this. Why? Because I like it, you know I want to. It feels good, okay, or whatever. All these things that you that you run after, if you don't ex, if you don't um, acknowledge those as coming from God, uh, and and you and you just sort of 
take those from him. You're never thankful for it, but you just take it and you do what you like with it. Um, that's a mark of a slave, okay? In other words, you owe the house. You're accruing a debt with God that you can't pay. Okay? And what he's simply saying is the slave's relationship to God, to the house, if you will, the house of the father, okay, is not permanent. There's going to come a time, just like that institution of slavery then, when a slave would, would, would pay off their debt, they're no longer obligated to stick around. Now, they could if they wanted to. Uh, they, you could become a willing slave for life to the master. That's a different, different kind of uh, um, process, okay? But once you pay your debt off, that's it. You're free, okay? But the son remains forever. Why? Because the son has a relationship with the house. You own it. It's yours, okay? And when it comes to the kingdom of God, which is what he's getting at here, they thought they were the sons of the kingdom. We're good because we're sons and daughters of Abraham. And he's like, no, no, you are slaves. And the, and the evidence of that is the fact that you live in sin. You continue to obey your master's sin rather than the Father in heaven, rather than God. Okay? So that's truism number two, that the, that, the, that the slave owes the house, but the son owns the house, okay? There are privileges that come with ownership. You can decide where, where the money's spent, right? How it's, how it's done. Um, we recently had a bunch of landscaping done in our house. Because it's our house, I didn't have to check with anybody else, right? I just pulled up what I wanted to pull up and planted what I wanted to plant. And that's that, and that's religious ownership. Now, now come the responsibilities for dealing with that, right? Pulling up the weeds and all of that and paying the bill for it, too. I don't know what y'all are smiling about, but we'll get that yeah, later. We know, we know who you had to ask. You had, you had the account for somebody. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yes. Co-owner. 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 Co yeah, that's right. All right, truism number three. This is the final point. The son has the authority to free the slave and cancel the debt. This is verse 36, okay? So, if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. How many of you in your English Bible, the son is capitalized? Capital S. Okay. I debated that and I thought about it, thought about it. Did the translators do the right thing there? Because... There, these are three. These are three truisms. These are three statements. Boom, boom, boom. That Jesus makes. Okay, um, just factual statements. They're just true. Okay, and you could translate it in such a way that it's 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 that. It's it's just you know the owner of the owner of the house has the freedom to forgive your debt at any time and set you free. Right? Mm -hmm. They do. It's that they own the debt. Privileges of ownership. I can say done. And, and you're free, right? What's cool about this is that that statement can be taken both ways. That is a truism, but I do believe that translators are right in applying that to Jesus so that what he's saying is in the context of everything, those these are people that are coming, just they're kind of believe, they're kind of interested. Wow, this is, okay. What he's saying is, as the son, I have this right to set you free. 
You come to me, and I can set you free. Because I am the owner. I'm the owner. I have the authority to do this. Okay? Now, what he just told them a few verses earlier was that he was going to be lifted up. Okay? Uh, another one of the teachings that I've heard in churches that is not true in Christian circles, a lot of people say, forgive and forget. You ever heard that? The Bible says forgive and forget. There, there is Old Testament language that makes it sound that way, that he's cast your sin and see your forgetfulness and so on. What that's doing is it's just trying to help us understand in human terms that God, in other words, God isn't going to bring your sins up once they are paid for in Christ. Okay? That's what that means. But it does not mean God has amnesia. He's not like, oh, I just, oh, what, wait, what did you do again? Who are you? No, no, God, God doesn't forget things. Okay? We can bump our head, get a serious auto accident or something. I saw a pretty serious uh, wreck that a guy had on a motorcycle the other day. And I, and I know that you, you hit your head pretty hard. Some, you know, even with a helmet, it can, you can have some memory loss. God isn't like that. He doesn't just forget our sin. He, he, he can't. This is where the illustration kind of breaks down. On a human level, you can say, well, okay, yeah, I know you owe me 100 bucks, but just I'll, I'll, I'll let that go. The debt is really still there, right? I mean, it hasn't really been paid off. And God can't do that. His perfect justice means he doesn't forget those things, and he can't forget it. He can't just say, ah, Let's not worry about that sin you got and, and sweep that under the carpet. What if a thousand years later you're in heaven, everything's good, then, oh, whoa, look what I found under the carpet. I forgot about that. Let's revisit your case. No, you want this debt not just forgiven in the human sense, but here's the word, atoned. You want that debt paid right because once it's paid there's no more claim and that's what jesus is saying here in this context he's going to be lifted up he's going to be put on the cross so that your sin and my sin our sin debt goes to his account okay paul says that that the righteous that, that the that the requirements of of sin against us were nailed to his cross he was put there for your crimes he was shamed in your place. He was, he suffered the wrath of God in, in your place and in mine. And what he's saying here is, if you come to me, I, because of that, I have the authority to set you free from the debt that you owe. Let me finish with taking us back to the beginning of John, John's gospel here. I have a lot of other texts, but we're out of time. And I know you're hungry, so. Uh, if you would just turn back there, John chapter 1, verses 12, to, uh, 12 and 13. Let me just finish with this. John is simply saying, Jesus came to the world, the world did not know him. Okay? He made the world. The world at large didn't know him. That all cultural history didn't know him. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people. He was the Messiah. He was the one they were looking for, they thought. 
Actually, it turned out that he wasn't the Messiah they were expecting, and they rejected him for it. That's what he says in the letter. But look at this in verse 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God, sons of God, daughters of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This, this new birth, you've heard of the second birth. It, it happens, Jesus talks to Nicodemus about it in chapter 3, being born again. It's just simply an illustration of this, this one fact. Just like them, they thought they were they were born into God's family because they were descendants of Abraham. Okay? We today, you know, you might think, well, you know, I, I was kind of born in a Christian country. I've been to church. I've been to church now. Uh, you know, that's, I'm good. No. No. You must be born again. And that's only God can do that. Only God can do that. But you must believe and must abide in that belief. You must stay there. You must come, receive, and hold on to the words of Jesus. And the offering that he gives you for a limited time to come and take that, all right? And so as, as um, we said in Sunday school, we'll say again, the scripture says, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Receive that. Take it now, today, okay? Get the debt paid. Get it settled. Jesus talks about that, getting getting the debt settled on the way to court. Don't wait till you get before the judge or he's going to hand you over and that's it, right? And you're going to pay that debt, okay, in hell. There is a, there is a limited offer in, in Christ, in his atonement, where he has paid your debt in your place. And if you receive that, if you take it and you hold on to it and you stay with him and you walk in obedience to him as you can, okay, in the power that he gives you, and you receive that and you take that in, he will set you free. He will set you free. Let's close with that. Heavenly Father, this is an offer that... that the scriptures make so clear, and really there's nothing else that's more important than this as to where we're going to spend eternity. We can ignore that. We can we can allow ourselves to say, well, I don't believe the Bible, or maybe there's some points over here, or maybe we do believe it, but I can put it off. I can do it another time. But your word urges us not to wait, because we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know that we're going to live to see the end of the day. We don't know. And so all of us, as the verse read earlier, abide under the wrath of God. We're born to this world under your wrath because of our sin. But that debt can be paid and we can be free and we can be transferred from slaves to sons, from debtors to daughters by your grace, if we will receive that and take it and believe it and abide in it. I pray you will do your work as you see fit in Jesus' name.